Chris, what is it? She's watching us. She looks like a ghost. I'm gonna talk to her. They don't wanna talk. From the darkest corners of Chicago, this is the unenthusiastic critics' Halloween movie marathon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the unenthusiastic critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, just because she was home, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello! On this week's episode, Nakia and I conclude our 2020 Halloween movie marathon with Brian Bertino's harrowing home invasion movie, The Strangers, from 2008. Nakia, before we do anything this week, I think we should give someone a shout-out. Mm-hmm. I know you find it nearly impossible to believe that anyone actually enjoys this show. But we do have, you know, quite a few fans, and some of them are kind enough to email us, and every once in a while, one of them actually sends us a donation to help support the show. <laughs> that is unwise, but okay. <laughs> I always thank them by email, and honestly, we don't get so many that that's, <laughs> that correspondence becomes much of a burden. You don't need a separate folder for that. But I think we should, we should probably give them a shout-out on the show itself. Sure. Um, and this week, we got a very generous contribution from our friend Julie in France. Hi, Julie. That's right. We have an international audience. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. Oh, that's a... That was a fucking hate gonna, crime, that's Julie. That's the last donation I'm so sorry, we Julie. are going to get from Julie. Please, please, Julie. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I, I'm personally apologizing for that. that was, there was no excuse for that. Uh, she sent us a very nice donation with the simple note, Happy Halloween. So apparently she enjoys your annual horror movie ordeal and would like to see that continue. Then I take back my apology, Julie. <laughs> and I hope you burn in hell. Oh, that seems a little harsh. <laughs> Talk about biting the hand that feeds you. Yes, I'm sorry, Julie. It's just, it's a pendulum swing with me. It's been a rough month. It's a, you know. So we did want to take a moment to say thank you or... Merci beaucoup. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try to thank her in French, and now I'm not going to, because I think that's perfect. It's just a shame. Yeah, my, my high school French is really not that much better than yours, so... <laughs> Uh, by the way, I know from previous correspondence that Julie is a Lord of the Rings fan. Oh, Julie. And she enjoyed our episode on the first of those movies. So maybe a nice way to thank her would be for us to go back and watch the additional, what, like 27 hours of those movies and talk about those. What do you think? Julie, I am very thankful for your <laughs> gifts. But I will not, I mean, it's going to have to go up in price a lot. There's, there's not enough money in the world, is there? Before I... Well, that's not true. There, I mean, we would... We would sell ourselves. I mean, I mean, cheap. you know, right. Then we get into the whole thing of like, <laughs> we're not talking about what you are. We're just talking about price. Right. But I mean, it would have to be like, <laughs> at least my rent, Julie, <laughs> before I would sit down and watch more of that. T it was terrible, Julie. I gotta, I gotta say that was just ping pong and pip pip and... <laughs> The shit perm pigs. wizard and yeah. the shit pigs, mm -hmm. and I just yeah. can't. I can't do it, Julie. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Okay, if there's anyone else out there in the world who feels like sending us money, you can hit the donate button on the website. After they hear, no one will ever no send money again. No one will ever again do it now, no. Because I'm just going to yeah. use your name and swear we're, we're gonna, a lot. We're going to have to make this one stretch. This is me and you, Julie. I'm going to be talking to you all podcast, Julie. <laughs> I'm in your house, Julie. <laughs> Don't look behind you. And on that note, I think we ought to just move right along to the movie that we're watching this week. Sounds good. What What do you know about The Strangers? Well, Julie and I um, <laughs> watched this together. No, I don't know anything. I know that it's a home invasion film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that it is, what's her name? The one you always get mixed up with, with the other else. one. Yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. they sort of look alike. <laughs> this is the one that was also in Lord of the Rings, so you should have it. Oh, that's right. Right at your fingertips. Yes. It's not... <laughs> It's not Nev Campbell. Oh, see, that's what I was about to say. Right, it's not Nev Campbell. It is Liv Tyler. Very good. Yes. (laughs) And, yeah, so it's Liv Tyler, and it's uh, Scott Speedman from Felicity. Which one was that? You were a big Felicity fan. I I never remember which one was Ben and which one was Noel. I never remember which one was Ben and which one was Noel. The good-looking guy that she followed to college and was obsessed with is Ben. That's That's who's in this movie. Okay. And then Noel was the almost as good-looking, right? It really supposedly wasn't. nerdier one. Yeah, he wasn't a nerd. Okay, so there isn't actually much more to say about this movie than that. Mm-hmm. As Scott Tobias wrote at the AV Club, the minimalist home invasion thriller The Strangers doesn't take many words to describe. Isolated vacation home, mass tormentors, helpless couple. And yet it's precisely the film's spare, disciplined, back-to-basics horror effects that lend it a sustaining chill. It isn't particularly original, Tobias says, but as an exercise in controlled mayhem, horror movies don't get much scarier. Little background, this was the writing and directing debut of 28-year-old Brian Bertino. Uh, He wrote this script while he was working as a gaffer on commercials and low-budget indies. And the movie, I think, opens with a title card that says it's based on a true story. It's not really based on a true story. Okay. Um, It's inspired by several real-life incidents, including the Manson family. Mm-hmm. And Bertino says it's based in part on an incident that happened when he was a child, when a stranger knocked on his family's front door while his parents were away. His seven-year-old sister opened the door and talked to them, and they, you know, asked for someone who didn't live there and moved along. But they later found out that these people were going door to door, knocking on doors, and robbing the houses when people weren't home. So that apparently inspired this little home invasion movie. He submitted the script as his application for a Nickel Fellowship, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences competition to identify and foster new screenwriters. He didn't win, but it got him an agent and some meetings, and the script was eventually sold to Universal. And I have tried to figure out how the hell he got the job of directing it, too, and there doesn't seem to be an explanation for that, other than they must have been impressed with the script, and apparently a couple of other directors turned it down. They thought it needed a bigger budget than what was offered, so he ended up directing it himself. It was not... It was a hit. The movie was made for $9 million, and it went on to make $82 million at the box office. But it was not really a critical hit at all. And it still, to this day, has a 48% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. That's not good. And a 48% audience score. That's doubly not good. <laughs> so, more than half the people, professional and amateur who saw this, did not like it. Roger Ebert hated it. <laughs> He gave it one and a half stars, and in the review, he said the extra half a star was only because it was Bertino's first movie, and he clearly had some chops. Otherwise, it would have been a one-star review. 
He said the movie deserves more stars for its bottom line craft, but all the craft in the world can't redeem its story. Why are we watching this? Because, on the other hand, Jeanette Kasoulis in the New York Times says... This is no splatter movie. Spare, suspenseful, and brilliantly invested in silence, Brian Bertino's debut feature unfolds in a slow crescendo of intimidation. Even as the campaign of terror escalates, the movie remains level-headed, smartly maintaining its commitment to tingling creepiness over bludgeoning horror. And I think that this movie's reputation has only grown in the, what, 12 years since it came out. And this is something I noticed when they did a a sequel a couple years ago. Bertino was not involved in it. And I read the reviews for the sequel, and everybody said, nowhere near as good as the 2008 classic. And it's like, okay, nobody liked it when it first came out, and now suddenly everybody loves it. The Decider called it the most terrifying movie of the past decade. Den of Geek listed it among the best modern horror movies. Esquire named it one of the 60 best horror movies of all time. Harper's Bazaar named it number 23 on its list of the scariest movies of all time. So yeah, I I think it's a movie that people have gone back and appreciated since it came out. And most people seem to agree that it's pretty scary. I remember I watched it for the first time. This must have been when you and I were together, but I don't know where you were. You were probably just not going to watch it Mm -hmm. back then. It creeped me out pretty effectively. And I remember at the time thinking it was good that you didn't watch it because I thought it would creep you out too. But that, of course, was before we did this. Right, you're exploiting my fear. Uh (laughs) Before I became a commodity. (laughs) And as I said last week... I I decided finally that we were going to watch it just because we have done something like 20 movies, horror movies, on the podcast. I don't know how many more we did, at least that many we did when we were doing stuff for the blog. And you were almost never actually scared by horror movies. Mm -hmm. The only one I remember you being fairly creeped out by was John Carpenter's Halloween. Mm -hmm. That one, after we watched it, you were like, I kind of need the lights on. I'm a little creeped out right now. To think of another movie we watched together that actually scared you, I have to go back to 2005's The Descent. (laughs) Neil Marshall's The Descent. Mm -hmm. That's the last movie I remember you becoming seriously freaked out by. Mm -hmm. Well, that was like multiple fears in one film. So, I mean, it was the idea of being trapped underground and unable to get out. Mm-hmm. I, I have, I don't have claustrophobia, but I have a thing with like no exits or not being able, <laughs> <laughs> able to get out of a place. And also a thing about being buried alive. And so mm-hmm. that sort of was all in there. And then I happened to be married to a man who looked very similar <laughs> to the creatures in those caves. And so you took it upon yourself to then mimic them in the dark. Uh, and I had to cut you. So, yeah. Okay, this is something that I think we've talked about before on the blog, if not here. <laughs> Sometimes when we're watching these movies, I like to enhance what you call enhance. the experience mm-hmm. as a way of, you know heightening the reality. It's it's like giving you an immersive horror experience. That I did not ask for. <laughs> Ever. So... And it just hurts you in the long run because then it's like I'm not watching these movies with you ever again. So I don't know why you engage in it. So sometimes just a little subtle, you know, shaking of the couch mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. a sudden movement or a yeah. creepy look in the dark or a weird sound or Makes whatever. you a dick. It also helps me assess how well the movie is working for you. Mm-hmm. Because if I reach over and tap you on the shoulder and you jump two feet in the air, then I feel pretty confident that, that the movie is working for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, I'm really just trying to help. It's not helpful. <laughs> okay. What are you expecting from this? 
Um, I don't know. I mean, it sounds pretty straightforward, so mm-hmm. I don't imagine it's going to be Phantasm or this other <laughs> bullshit that we watched this whole time. So for that, I guess <laughs> should be fine. I mean, you've said before that you were you were more creeped out by stuff that could actually happen. Yes. I mean, home invasion is, I think, a pretty common fear mm-hmm. um, that m- many people have. So that is a thing. Which is probably one of the reasons why I would never own a mansion, just because I, I need to be able to see all my... I can't have, like, corners that I can't see around. It's a problem for me. So I'm always going to live in, like, a small... <laughs> you don't want the long I don't need corners, the, like, in I The need, Shining? I don't need, like, you know, <laughs> ten bedrooms that I don't know what the fuck is going in. So, no, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a loft space where you can no. see everything. How about that? Sure. Okay. okay. But, yeah, so... And you're not big on having the big house out in the country where it's, like, four miles to your nearest no, neighbors. No, no. I need to be accessible. See, and here's the twenty catch-22 here, right? Uh-huh. Because you want to be accessible to the police, but I do not want the police <laughs> coming to my home. That's a, But on the list of Let's your talk fears, about real fear. Number one, Fucking cops. police, okay? <laughs> number two, anybody the cops would be cops, called to stop. white people. Like, it's just so... Yeah, so no, I can't do country because again, then you get cell phone service issues and just so no, I'm not. Yeah, it's my fears are pretty banal. Like they're not. It's not like oh, I'm scared of ghosts or anything like that shit. Whatever. It's just you know, don't break into my home. Don't send the police to my home. That seems strangely reasonable. You know, I feel feel pretty pretty strong in it. (laughs) All right, we'll see how this works. Probably you're going to say this one isn't scary either, and then. Maybe we'll just give up on horror movies completely after that. Okay. <laughs> when we get back, we will discuss The Strangers. Come back, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give up on us, Julie. <laughs> we love you, Julie. You're the third in our marriage now, Julie. <laughs> I just want to tell you something. What do you want to tell me? You are my girl. I love you, Jimmy. What is that? And we're back. 
During the break, Nikia and I watched The Strangers. So, Nakia, you and I actually watched this movie last night. Mm -hmm. We waited until nightfall. The apartment was as dark and quiet and eerily foreboding as I could possibly make it. (laughs) Usually, we both take notes during the movie, laptop on laps. But last night, I suggested and you honored the temporary rules that we would just immerse ourselves in the film. Mm -hmm. So, this should have been maximum environment to be scared. Mm-hmm. And when the movie was over, you got up all nonchalantly <laughs> and went to the bathroom. And we have a long apartment. Yes. With the bathroom at one end, the living room at the other. And you went down the hallway and you didn't even turn the fucking lights <laughs> on. And it was at that point that I knew I had failed. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> What did you make of The Strangers? Well, now I feel bad for you. Um, I mean, I thought it was good. I thought it was unsettling and mm-hmm. chilling. It wasn't It wasn't a, a, a movie that was going to give me nightmares that night or anything Why like that. Why not? I don't know. It just, I, I really did think that if there was going to be any film that we watched, this would be it. Because That's what it, I thought, too. I thought this was all exactly of my the kind that would do it. It absolutely hits all of my things. And I think it is because this country has broken me. I think my spirit is a little bit dead. (laughs) Because while I'm watching it, I caught myself sort of doing this thing. And I don't, this isn't something that I've always done. And I'm trying to think about when it sort of first started. But there's a point in the film where James and Kristen have come back from the wedding reception. And they are getting ready to have like the sad breakup sex that you have (laughs) (laughs) when the relationship is done. Uh Uh-huh. And someone knocks on the door, and it's not at all a normal knock, really. It's a very portentous knock. Right. And James sort of looks at the clock and is like, it's 4 a.m. Isn't it weird for someone to sort of be knocking at this hour? And they go and they open the door. And my brain went, huh. Renisha McBride, Uh who, for those that don't know, got into a car accident in Michigan. And she sort of stumbled her way to a home in Dearborn Heights and knocks on the door for help. And the homeowner shoots her basically through the door, really. Right. This was, needless to say, a black woman. This was, needless to say, a black woman. And I think she died at like 4.42 a.m. And so that sort of, my my brain immediately went there of like, like that would have been the end of the horror film. Like, like it was, and I'm laughing, it's not funny, but it's like, that would have been the end of the film is you don't open the door, particularly for a black woman, if you're a white homeowner at 4 a.m. and you shoot first and you ask questions later and you claim that it was self-defense and you were fearing for your life and... Here we have two white people who answered the door for this white girl right. who actually was trying to we find is, is going to murder, murder them. them yes. <laughs> so it was just, so I don't so I don't know if that like And they actually in. say, "Do you think she needs help?" Right. Should we go out and help her? Could, should we help her? And so it, it immediately so I just got taken out of it a little bit and then my brain goes down that track of like how there is this assumed neutrality in horror films that once you add race into it it totally changes right and we've seen that explored with some of the things that Jordan Peele has done right we've seen it with Lovecraft Country right that once you change the sort of racialized perspective of the protagonist and antagonist things it it does change the story and, and sort of what is possible changes so that may be it like maybe I'm just now I'm too far gone. (laughs) 
<laughs> to enjoy horror in that way anymore, which is kind of sad. That is a little sad and a real bummer note. It is. A, it's a super bummer note because then, it, like, I, then of course the spiral happens. And it's like, okay, well, Brianna Taylor, she was shot in her right. home by police officers. Then I go to, okay, well, let's think about both Am Jean in Texas, who was shot by a police officer coming home, entered the wrong apartment, yeah. quote unquote, thinking right. it was her apartment, and shot him straight away. And so this idea of it's just a different way to think about home as a place where you're supposed to be safe. Mm-hmm. And how is that different for white people versus folks of color, particularly black people? And also, I think one of the things that does make a movie like The Strangers terrifying is that there is no rationality to it. Yes. They just sort of had the bad luck of they were in the wrong house right. at the wrong time. And so this idea that, like, what does that mean when you then sort of superimpose race over that? What does it mean to be in the wrong house at the wrong time, even if it is your house? What does it mean to be asking for help at 4 a.m. as a black woman? And how does that change who the monster is? How does that change how we think about horror? Okay, well, that, I mean, that actually jumps us forward to a question I was going to ask you. Because every horror movie we watch, Mm -hmm. the question of, is this textually or subtextually about race in some way, Mm -hmm. comes up. So I was going to ask you that about this one. Because... Even when we, I think when we talked about Halloween, we talked about that, where it's that, you know, the white suburbs, Mm -hmm. the white upper class suburban setting, where again, the expectation is safety and neutrality Mm -hmm. and how that did represent sort of urban dangers Mm -hmm. creeping into Mm -hmm. the white suburban neighborhoods. Do you think that is going on here? The assailants, Mm -hmm. who we never get a good look at, they're all white, though. Yes. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the subtext is not no. loaded in the same way. Yeah, I mean, that's a true. I didn't feel that with this one as much as I felt with something like a Halloween. And I don't know if that's just because this is even one more step removed from suburbs where it's like the secluded. Right. The very first shots the of the wood. movie, it's a montage of traveling. Right. And we travel through sort of the near suburbs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. into the outer, kind of wealthier suburbs. And then by the time we get to where they're going, it's out in the country, right. really, right. in these very isolated neighborhoods. The house is not, it's not a super nice house. No. It's not like a huge mansion or anything. No, it's, it's a summer house, big. though. So, right. But to say, so to have a summer house right. <laughs> does <laughs> yes. imply a are, level of comfort. Right, <laughs> as does the amount of land around yeah. them and all of that. So yes, we are in the land of privilege. Yes. And certainly these two actors are pr- pretty white. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, all right, let's talk about that opening, the pre-weird shit going on <laughs> sequence that just establishes these characters. Because mm-hmm. uh, they were they were already having a bad day. Yeah, it was already a bad night. <laughs> their, their relationship was already in a little bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the first time we meet James and Kristen, they are in the car, stopped at a red light. And neither of them look particularly happy. No one's saying a word. Kristen is sort of has the the silent tear coming down her cheek. And it's really, it's actually a very cool shot because they're sort of bathed in the light from the stoplight. So it it almost looks like they're actually covered in blood. Mm. Because when I first saw the scene, so we, we see sort of a close up of James and we see his hand sort of gripping the steering wheel and it almost looks like he has blood on his knuckles. And I'm like, yeah, did, we it just, did. did we start sort of in media res or right. something? Like, have they already been in, engaged in? some sort of, you know, physical stuff. But it turns out it was just the red light causing that effect. 
And so I just thought that was a really interesting way to open. It was mm-hmm. like they had already been through something terrible. Yes. <laughs> or it was almost like uh, they were just sort of cursed from that moment. It was just, right. they are going to be covered in blood <laughs> as we progress through right. this film. We find out in flashback later. Right. He had proposed. He had proposed. And she was not ready. <laughs> so He pulls that ring out in the flashback and her face just drops. It was not one of happiness. No. <laughs> It didn't seem like she wanted to totally break up. She just wasn't ready to get married. But I don't know how you move forward, really, from that point. Right. Um, (laughs) So, yes, they had had a bad night. Yeah. And it is brilliant because that tension is already there before anything bad happens. They're already jumpy and edgy. Yeah. Like, when they get to the house, they stop at the end of the driveway. He gets the mail out of the mailbox. And just when he, like, opens the door and slams the door and everything, she sort of jumps. Mm -hmm. It's like their blood pressure is already raised. Yeah. Yeah. Even before all this other shit <laughs> starts yes. to happen, uh, so did you have did you have a lot of hope for this relationship? No, I mean that that's a they're done. I mean it's pretty. <laughs> that's you know nightmare on top of nightmare is to die with someone who just broke up with you is <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> to be stuck in a situation where you have to you know depend on each other to survive in the house that you had in the house that you had sort of set laid out all these rose petals and champagne and candles and she's like oh this is sweet yeah that's really nice what you did she said sorry, I'm sorry i don't it want to didn't do work this. out how you expected it i wondered if you would judge him for that because that's not your style the fucking rose petals on the bed you know what it's it really isn't my style i wouldn't judge any <laughs> like if someone did that for me it would be bitchy for me to be like this is cliche yeah, you no, asshole if i did that for you you would totally <laughs> judge me for i would it. not judge you I'd be like it's very sweet but it's like okay somebody has to sweep this shit up um but <laughs> Petals are going to clog the bathtub. <laughs> no, it was really sweet. Um, and it, unfortunately, it did not go his way. So, which is why you want to sort of be sure that the person's going to say yes when you ask them to marry you. Uh, it's like those jumbotron right. proposals that you go know, bad, you know. It's like have the conversation of like, where do you see this going? Yeah. Are you ready to do this? But yes, so they are already very uncomfortable and ill at ease. And they're in this environment that is all about sort of romance and love and togetherness and it's this it's a very odd juxtaposition and i actually think that first i don't know is it like 15 to 20 minutes where it's sort of them together in the house it was a good efficient way to set up that dynamic that relationship that's how you get us to care about them as people Mm -hmm. if we decide to do that and then that's when you know the dumbass decisions start and that's when i start to (laughs) distance myself which dumbass decisions are you referencing well the first one is she's out of cigarettes (laughs) and we now know it's 4 a.m and he's like, oh, okay, I'll go get you some. Who goes to get cigarettes at 4 a.m. in the middle of fucking nowhere? Well, I was a smoker, so I would absolutely <laughs> either go out. Or if I had someone, but it's stupid, not like there's... If I had someone stupid enough to go get them for me, absolutely go it's get It's not like there's cigarettes. a, oh, there's a 7-Eleven on the corner. <laughs> no. Yes. You have to drive. Right, but that's the thing. He wants to get the hell out of that house for a few minutes. <laughs> okay, I guess. it's unbearable. So there's that decision. There's the decision of making doors with no peepholes. I just don't. Yes. Those big ass wooden doors with no, so that you have to open the door to see who's out there. That's just yeah. A, and then a decision o- opening the door in the first place. That very comfortable white people make of like, no, you need to have a fucking peephole in your door. Uh, and then opening the door and talking to this girl was another poor decision. And it, they just continue from there. And as you said, that happens right as they are starting to have. 
Sad breakup sex. Sad breakup sex. Or I read it as her needing to make him feel better. That was definitely part of it. Sex. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely Um, part of it. It's like a parting gift. (laughs) (laughs) But then again, it's like, in in terms of the relationship, that would be a release of tension. Mm -hmm. And it's interrupted. We don't don't get that Mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. He gets as far as pulling her panties off. And, and I and I had forgotten that she put on more clothes later. Yeah. Because at that point I was like, does she go through this whole thing just not wearing her panties? <laughs> no, she gets dressed. She does get dressed, at, yes, when he goes out to get cigarettes. So yeah, there's the knock at the door. There's the girl. Is Tamara there? Mm-hmm. No, Tam- there's no Tamara, man. Tamara doesn't live here. And then he goes out to get cigarettes. And then, yes, she comes back. Right. And knocks again. And knocks again. Now, this time she doesn't open the door. No. Liv or uh, Kristen keeps the door closed and, you know, asks who's there. We get the, the Tamara there again. And she's like, you've already been here asking that. She is not here. Right. She says, are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And locks the door, which apparently the door had not been locked right. previously, which again is like, <laughs> Why? Oh, the other warning signal they miss the first time she comes by is the light bulbs right. outside have been unscrewed. Yes. Which, that should have been a flag. Uh, yes, something is right going there. terribly wrong. He misses a lot of flags. Yes. Well, when he comes back, so when he's gone to get cigarettes, Kristen's in the house by herself. She starts to hear knocking and noises on the outside. Mm-hmm. She had plugged her cell phone in, but then she comes back and the cell phone is gone. Right. The smoke alarm goes off. She takes it down and puts it on the floor. She comes back. The smoke alarm is now in a different place than where she yeah. had placed it. All of these things are happening. And so she calls And Jane. we have seen. And we've seen. In what I think is a fantastic yeah. shot. Yeah. Where she's standing there in the kitchen smoking a cigarette. And then way in the background in the dark, we just see. One of the masked The intruders. man in the mask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just standing there watching her. Mm-hmm. That is a creepy, creepy ass shot. Well, it's also just a quintessential horror film shot because that's where you get the turn around, you idiot. (laughs) Just like, why won't you turn around? Yeah, but no, it's a great shot. And it's really before all of the murder, (laughs) it's a fairly minimalist, quiet film. Oh, yeah. And I think that's to his credit. I think it's really well done. She calls and it's actually James. not until the last two minutes yeah, violent. That it gets really bad. Yeah. yeah. But she calls James and she's like, look, the girl came back. There are noises. I can't find my phone. I'm freaking, freaking out. out a little bit. And he's like, okay, just calm down. And he get, he comes back and doesn't believe her. Right. Thinks that's, that she's yes. like having a, some sort of breakdown or something. And she's like, no one is here. You need to calm down. And then he goes out and says, well, I left my phone in the car, which again, why would you do that? <laughs> he goes to his car and his car has been totally trashed. Mm-hmm. The windows have been busted out. The tires have been slashed. And obviously his phone is now gone. Right. And when he's in the car. Somebody touches the back of his somebody head. Somebody touches the back <laughs> of his head. It makes him jump. So, Yeah. I'm curious, Mm -hmm. since you are the expert on these things. Am I? What what is your course of action at this point? Drive out on the rims. (laughs) Just drive that car as far as it will go. Ride the rims. Because the phone, the house phones have been cut off. Yes. The cell phones. Taken. Right. His, the battery was taken out of it. That's, he doesn't believe her at all until he finds his own phone with the battery taken out of Mm -hmm. it. Before that, he's like, Kristen, nobody's been in the house. Yeah. He's doing that male thing of like trying to be reasonable and in control and logical and trying to calm down the hysterical woman toxic masculinity gets everyone killed (laughs) like that's just if we don't know that lesson by now like neither of these are bad people no but 
I do think there are those interesting sort of gender mm-hmm. dynamic things happening in this. Mm-hmm. It's fairly subtle. It's not over the top. It's not, but I mean, it does say something that this is someone he wanted to marry, that he is so quick to assume that she just went crazy all of a sudden. Like, right. why? <laughs> she just lost her fucking mind. So, yes, once he sees that the battery has been taken out of his phone, he is like, okay, we got to get the hell up out of here. Takes Chris into the car. <laughs> They try to. They be, try to drive out on the rims. Do, like they you do said. try to drive out on the. They waited too long. They do try to drive out on the rims. <laughs> a truck pulls up behind them with another sort of masked figure driving. Right. And rams into. I believe them. that's doll. In the credits, these are listed as man in mask. Okay. Doll face mm-hmm. and pinup girl. Okay. Doll face is the blonde, and pinup girl is the brunette. Okay. Mask. Okay. <laughs> Um, so pinup girl, I think it is, or is it doll face? I'm not sure which one's driving the truck. It might be, I think it's pinup girl. Pinup girl rams into them from behind. <laughs> There's a masked man is standing in front of them. Yeah. So they have no choice but to book it back into the house. Yeah. All through this movie, they keep running back to the house. Yes. Like there's any safety in the house. Well, but that's, we're so trained I, I think to I think. I might have just taken off through the woods. That the home is a safe place. Well, point. that didn't work out for them either. So <laughs> we'll talk about that. So they do make a good choice, which is. He remembers that his dad had a gun, yeah. a shotgun. Yeah. And so they go through the whole thing of getting the shotgun and then going into the closet and finding the bullets, which, you know, good gun safety in the home is like have those things in separate places where you have to look for them. Sure. Except in the moment that you need them. Um, the gun is disassembled. He doesn't really know how to put it together. She's like, I thought you went hunting with your dad. He's yeah. like, yeah, I lied about that. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason why, why were you thinking about getting married? (laughs) Do you two know each other, actually? So this is what I'm saying, is I think there's just a sort of failure of masculinity Mm -hmm. in that character. Mm -hmm. It's like, I I pretended I knew how to hunt. I don't really know anything about guns. Because women find that hot? I guess. I don't know. No. No? No. Okay. That would have actually been my flag for me. like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Yeah, and there's, I, I do think that section of the movie is the strongest section. Mm-hmm. Before the sort of overt attacks begin, mm-hmm. but after the sort of campaign of psychological, psychological warfare <laughs> begin. There's just, the sound design mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. There's just so many just random bangs and things going on as these people. And they're just, they're just fucking with them. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. no, it's you a know, game. Kristen keeps saying, what do they want? Mm-hmm. They, they must want something. Mm-hmm. But like you said, we find out in the end, they're no, they don't want anything. No. They're just fucking with you. Yeah. And they're, they're, it's for a first time, they're pretty good at it. Well, it's her first. One, I think it's only the blonde girl's first time is what it sounds like. Oh, I thought it was all their first times. Maybe. I don't know. The way that the, so now we're skipping way to the end. Yeah. But the brunette says, it'll be easier for you next time. I, I think she just says next time it'll be easier. Oh, okay. Speaking to the group. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. We don't have, the whole point is we don't have a lot of backstory on these people. <laughs> But they come up with a good idea, which is sort of barricade yourself in the closet, in the closet with the gun pointed and wait at out the door. And just <laughs> I'm not sure it is a good idea. It's, it's the kind of thing that seems like a good idea. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of lines of sight in that situation. Mm, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, by all means, sit there with a shotgun. I would maybe do it out where you could see your exits and entrances and everything. But see, there's too many. There are too many ways they could get at them behind. All right, let me ask you a question. Okay. How does that go? It does not go well. Here's why it doesn't go well, though. <laughs> because of line of sight. This is what I'm saying. Well, that's part of it. The other part of it is announce your fucking self when you come in somebody's house. So, 
earlier in the film, after the like we're home and we're sad and she's breaking up with me, he yeah. calls his friend Mike, I think yes. it is, and he's like, Mike, I need you to come and pick come me up because this didn't go the way we thought it was going to go. So Mike pulls up at God knows what hour. I mean, at this point, it has to be like 5 a.m. or yeah. something like that. And he calls. Mike's a bit of a dude, bro. He's Mike, a little bit of a dude, yeah. bro. He calls James' cell phone. He's like, dude, I'm here. I came early. I'm going to pick you up. Somebody shoots into Mike's <laughs> car and he jumps out and he's like, what the fuck? He's like, oh, that's weird. Bad decision for him is to then go and investigate. I would have gotten back in my car and gone away and caught the cops and been like, something weird is happening at my friend's house. Right. He's got a cell phone. He's, He's holding right. it He's in, holding his in his hand, hand at the time. He chooses to go into the home where you don't know what. Somebody just shot into your fucking vehicle. Yeah. You don't know what is going on. He walks around. He sees all the other. like All the, the carnage. Right. And still chooses to go into the home, picks up like a crowbar or something off the mm. ground. And we get another shot of, he, it's him walking down the hallway, not saying anything, <laughs> not saying, hey, not it's Mike. Calling out to anyone. James, Kristen, are you guys here? It looks like something's gone down. Are you okay? And behind him, we see the masked man with an axe. Yeah, that's another brilliant sequence. It's a br- It really is. And he- there's a moment where Mike starts to sort of turn around and we think he's going to turn around and see the masked man, right. but he doesn't and fully turn around. we're expecting the masked man to bury that. That axe in his head mm-hmm. or something. But no, no. <laughs> he comes upon the closet and gets shot immediately in the face by his friend, James. And then we cut to James in the closet thinking he just got the bad guy yeah. for a second. And then he's like, but he didn't have a mask on. Right. Why wasn't he wearing his mask? <laughs> Who was that? Oh, that was my friend that I called to come and get me. Yeah. So this is why you announce yourself when you're walking up into somebody's house. (laughs) To me, this is why you want to be somewhere where you can actually see people coming. So you know, but, or say, it's Mike, are you here? It's, I'm walking down the hall. Okay, but to be fair, if he'd done that, he probably would have gotten the axe in the back of the head from the man in the mask that was right behind. I feel like that's better than getting shot in the face by your friend. It's, it's one of the things that I think is good about this movie is that it's hard to say what you would have done differently or how they could have mm-hmm. gotten out of it. Like, they don't make necessarily big, stupid mistakes. I think it all happens fairly organically the way it probably would happen. Mm. You can quibble with small things. Like when the house phones are working and she's freaked out, she calls James. She, yep. she could have just called the cops right then. Yeah. Like, so there are little opportunities where they could have done something differently had sure. they known what they learned. But that scene with Mike, juxtapose that with the scene where she's coming back into the house and this is... After she's sort of fallen into a ditch and her ankle Right, she's done a classic run and stumble. But she comes back into the house like a bull in a china shop, running into tchotchkes and shit, (laughs) knocking shit over, knocking photos off the wall, loud as hell when she should be quiet. And so that's like, okay, Mike should have been loud and she should have been (laughs) quiet. Yeah, because after James... (laughs) <laughs> realizes he's just shot his best friend in the face. Mm-hmm. He he gets kind of pissed off and he takes the gun and he's going to go outside and... Kill them? Well, he says he's going for... There's an old ham radio. In the barn or in something. In the barn. Yeah. He's going to go for that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think he just wants to like go out and shoot some people. Which is dumb. Um, he almost does. He gets... He, he sees... I don't remember if it's Dollface or Pinup Girl, but he sees one of the girls mm-hmm. and starts to shoot at her... And then the masked man comes up behind him and takes his fucking shotgun. So here's my problem with this. Another bad choice. Both he and Kristen move through that space between the house and the barn as if they are, like, looking for the VC. They are, like... (laughs) He totally does. He totally does. Once he gets out... And this is, again, I think the subtle sort of masculinity things. 
He does the whole like slide and hide behind the tree. And he, I think he does a roll at but some the point. Problem is, he? There's no cover. <laughs> you're totally visible. So even if you're crawling in the grass, they see you. It's not the jungles yeah, of Vietnam. The woods are pretty sparse. They're, it's open. So I'm like, just get up and walk. Like, why are you doing this? Like, but he totally does with the gun, like the whole action movie, which is why they can just walk up on you crawl. and take your gun because there's no cover. I don't. I don't understand why you're doing this whole thing. Both he and Kristen do that. I'm just like, get the fuck. Well, she actually has a little bit more of an excuse because she busts her ankle and <laughs> right, so, so can't walk. Crawling. But yeah, so he gets his shotgun taken away from him and then Kristen is sort of left by herself and decides to sort of make a mad dash across the yard to the mm-hmm. barn and then they have apparently dug some sort of trench. I don't... It, or was it there I don't think already? they dug that. I think that must have just been something that was there. She falls yeah, into she it like, and cracks her ankle pretty bad. I'm not sure I wouldn't have just hidden in the ditch. It was like, you found a ditch. You found a convenient <laughs> ditch. Maybe just stay there. That might be your best option at this point. <laughs> Take the tornado route. We're just going <laughs> to stay in the ditch until it passes. But she sprints to the barn. Yeah. To try she to makes get, it. She, she does she make it. She makes it further than he did. No, they absolutely see her. So it's, it's just... <laughs> you think they're just sitting there watching right, her, kind of like, laughing all right, let about her, it? Let her get there. All right. Um. <laughs> there is actually one, I don't remember if it's before that or after that, where she's lying there and she sees the man in the mask off That's to after. one side. That's it's after. after. Okay. Yeah. So she goes to the barn, finds the radio, and then does the, like, Liv Tyler whisper voice thing into the radio. I'm like, speak <laughs> up! Sorry, what's, what's the Liv Tyler whisper <laughs> voice? Help me, please! Please. Is anyone there? They can't. It's a. It's a. They're not going to hear you. You need to just speak in a regular voice. There's no. You just told her to be quiet. No. What I'm saying is, people don't know when to be quiet and when to be loud. Mike should have been loud. Liv should have been quiet when she was going back in the house. She should have been loud when she was in the barn asking for help over a, a fucking CV radio or whatever the hell. You being quiet at the loud times. Exactly. And being loud at the quiet times. Like I need you to be loud and say I need help. You know, whatever you need to say into this radio so that they can hear you. <laughs> Over the static of this radio. Doesn't matter anyway, because Pinup Girl is in the fucking barn with you, of course, and smashes the radio. And then lets you just crawl your ass back to the house. Right. And that's when we see that Pinup Girl is behind her. Dollface is sitting on the swings, basically like looking at her like, this is pathetic. <laughs> Mask guy goes back into the house. Uh, okay, so is that when she runs back into the mm-hmm. house and hides in the pantry? Yes. Okay. And like you said, it seems like they should all be dead by now mm-hmm. anyway. And again, they're just fucking with her. Yeah, no, they're just... Like, they could have killed her at any game. time, it yeah. seems like. But they're sort of playing a game with her. Mm-hmm. So she gets into the house and hides the hides in the pantry off the kitchen with a slatted window. Mm-hmm. Man in the mask comes in. Yeah. We think he's going to find her in the pantry. He keeps sort of looking at the pantry, but doesn't open the pantry. You're right. Sits at the kitchen table to take a break. I think so. I thought he was going to dig into that ice cream. I thought he was, too. James pulled out that big tub of ice cream. And he, he did. He was just going to sit there and eat the whole tub of ice cream. That never seemed to melt, by the way. It was always fairly <laughs> solid. Um, well, it's been, it's only been, like, what, 20 minutes or something? I guess so, yeah. Um, this movie almost happens in real time. So the masked man is sitting at the table in front of the ice cream, just sort of chilling there. PSA here. Uh-huh. These are three people who spend, what, around four or five hours-ish in masks, <laughs> running, murdering, mm-hmm. yep. chasing, hiding. Uh-huh. They keep their masks on. <laughs> you too can do it, America. <laughs> keep your mask on. Okay, but to be fair, his breathing is a little ragged. He is definitely having some trouble. <laughs> Which is probably why he's he got some asthma <laughs> or some allergies or something. But he something, kept his mask on. Or he's just out of shape. He kept it on. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> kept on his PPE. He, exactly. So we can all do this. 
so yes, so she's in the pantry and the whole time we're thinking he's going to find her. He doesn't. He walks away. We think, oh no, she's gotten away with it. <laughs> no. Bum, bum, bum. Dollface. Dollface. Is there banging on the door, trying to break the door down and then goes to the kitchen table or the dining room table and is sort of playing with the ring box and picks up a knife. Picks up her knife. Picks the up knife her she knife. Had, yes. Right. I meant to mention that moment earlier, the way yes, she got she the does, knife. Yes. So that's a, a you knife. moment. That's, yes. You need to arm yourself immediately. <laughs> Uh, so now Dollface has her butcher knife. Mm-hmm. Liv Tyler reaches into a drawer Finds and like pulls a paring out. knife or something. It's <laughs> a very little tiny knife. little knife. It's very sad. And then I guess it is the masked man that then throws James into the door of the house, basically, and it's like, so we know we now know that James is still alive, but obviously badly hurt. Mm. And then I think we're pretty much at the end game, aren't we? Because that's Kristen runs out of the kitchen, the man in the mask tackles her and throws her against the wall and stuns her, and then we're then we're tied up in chairs. Yes. They dress them back up in their wedding finest and put them in chairs, tie them yeah. up. And this is probably like the, not the saddest part, but the the part where you know for sure that it's done and that there is no chance because there's something about horror films and the fact that they take place at night where it's like, if I could just make it to the morning. Yes. Oh my God. That's such a great If moment. I can just get to the morning, I will have survived this. And, and they open the curtains and it is broad daylight, daylight outside. Yeah. They have survived the night. And yet and still, they yeah. are not going to make it out of this. And I thought that was such a good yeah. choice of like, you. May, that's always the thing that we're looking for in horror films. It's like, just get to the morning, just make it to the morning. And they do. And, and there's, Bertino does shots outside. Mm-hmm. That it's like the whole world just looks normal. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice, beautiful, beautiful sunny, sunny day. day. Yeah. And they're still screwed. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. That's brilliant. And this is the toughest two minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you and I agreed a long time ago. Like, I don't like torture porn yeah. movies. yeah. We have deliberately not done yes. those sorts of movies. Yeah. And one of the reasons I waited so long to do this movie is because it ends the way it ends. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how rough that was for you. Yeah, I mean, that definitely was the hardest part for me. Um, because, yeah, I don't enjoy watching people just take delight in someone else's pain in that way. And just, like, watching a prolonged torture yeah. scene. And it's not... Too, I mean, it's, it's not, not gratuitous. No, it is not. It's not like the Saw films or something right. where you're like cutting off limbs or anything like that. But it is. It's hard because you just like just fucking kill them were and get ex- it over with. Were you expecting it or were you expecting some manner of happy ending? Um. I mean, if you think about it, most horror films end with the final girl, right? Well, so this one may. This and this one may. Right, they give you a little code, yeah. coda there that. Offers that possibility. But no, I mean, once we saw that it was daylight, I didn't I didn't think that they were going to make it. Okay. So I was expecting them to die. I wasn't expecting it to be, okay, now we're just going to stab you like 15 times <laughs> right. and trade off. And But again, as you said, it's not, it doesn't go on for a very long time. We don't see most of it. Like they show us a little, like the initial right, stabbing. It's not gory. <laughs> and then it just becomes, we hear the screams. We aren't actually seeing. Right. What's happening? And before that, I, ha- I we have what I think is the iconic moment in the movie, which is when the three of them in their masks are standing in front of them. Mm-hmm. And she says, why are you doing this to us? And one of the girls says... Because you were home. Because you were home. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. I like this quote. This is Adam Naiman in The Ringer. He says... He says the movie is expertly staged, impressively ruthless, and, at least for me, really about something, even if that something ends up being the chilling nothing in particular alluded to by the mass murderess. 
There's no good reason that Kristen ends up cowering at knife point in a cabin at the edge of the woods. She didn't break the rules of behavior in a slasher movie. She hasn't recently unearthed an ancient book of the dead. She doesn't know what you did last summer. Wrong place, wrong time, and there's nothing more to it than that. And also nothing less. The existential dread is coming from inside the house. Mm. And that's it. I mean, it's we've spent so much time talking about the rules of horror movies, mm-hmm. and there that's the point of this one, is that there is no... There's no reason for it. Mm-hmm. It is a purely random attack. Mm-hmm. Well, and I feel like this sort of, this takes me back to where I started, which this idea of, you know, James and Kristen didn't do anything wrong. And yet they were subjected to this horrifying transgression of their space and their safety and then ultimately their lives. And then it's like, okay, well, if we think about Brianna and mm-hmm. uh, Renisha and Botham. It's like the thing that they did wrong was they were black. Right. Well, that's why I do wonder if there is that that subtext to this. Mm-hmm. Because I think that that perception that there is sort of random crime mm-hmm. in the world is it's pervasive, it's used for political purposes, and it's usually racially charged. Mm-hmm. And it's, for the most part, not true. It's like we talked about last week with the Halloween candy, mm-hmm. right? The razor blades and right, the Halloween right. candy, which has never happened. There is absolutely no evidence that it has ever happened in the history of this country. Mm-hmm. And yet it's such a pervasive fear. But see, I would even argue that the narrative is sort of random crime. The idea of random crime is, is racialized because I don't know that black and brown communities are given that same sort of benefit of the doubt. Like it's not random in black and brown right. communities. It's they're not starting off from the assumption of right. security of course it's and happening neutrality the, right, and exactly. yes, right. yes. So even this idea of random crime, is that happens in white neighborhoods. There are only certain people that get to be able to say, well, they did nothing wrong. So why did this happen? Right. And then I don't know what you make at the end of the movie where we have these, and actually the movie starts there too, with these mm-hmm. two little missionary kids <laughs> coming in. <laughs> Never happy to see those guys. Usually those are the people you don't want coming in your house. And now, you know, it's good timing on their part. Two little Christian boys. Who are be forever On scarred. bicycles, handing out pamphlets. And uh, the, the, the killers stop and grab a pamphlet on their way out of town. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, one of the little boys asks, you know, have you sinned or are, are you, you a, a sinner? sinner? And the blonde girl says, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Once in a while. Epically so. <laughs> Okay, well, it sounds like you enjoy... Is this I a did. movie you enjoy? I did enjoy it. Okay. I did think it was Because it's good. not a fun No, movie. yeah, no, I didn't enjoy it in the sense And of it's actually it. not the kind of movie I usually like, mm-hmm. because it is... And I think this is what Ebert's problem with it was. It's just, it's very nihilistic. Yeah. And I don't generally like movies well, that well, are let's nihilistic not, I mean, like there that. is the scene at the end where one of the Christian boys comes across Kristen's yeah. body and... Goes to touch James her. is pretty obviously dead. James is dead. But Kristen sort of grabs him and screams <laughs> her self-conscious. Right. So is... it's possible that she lives. Yeah. I mean, I think we can assume maybe she lives. She will sure. be, you know, forever fucked up. But <laughs> it is possible that she lives. And there's, like, there's no humor in this movie no. either. No, no. So again, it's not the kind of movie I usually like, but I do think there's a certain... I think it's very well directed for yeah. the first director. Yeah. I think the scares are incredibly effective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the use of space as menacing, mm-hmm. especially in a house that is not inherently scary right. and not that huge. Yeah. You know, this isn't a big gothic mansion. It's just a regular suburban house. Mm-hmm. I think all of that is just so well done that it's it's got a certain elegant integrity to it sure. that works for me. 
Uh, would you watch this again? No, I don't no. need to see this again. <laughs> and it didn't make you uncomfortable to be in your own apartment. I mean, not any more than I already am. I mean, you know, I'm the lock the windows, <laughs> make sure the door is locked person anyway. Mm-hmm. So no more than I already am. <laughs> I think that's what you really meant when you said the world is broken. You is that you don't have that sense of security in the first place. I really don't. So to, I really it's don't. not violated. And, and it's becoming more and more likely that the person that shows up on my door will look like someone you should open the door for, uh, and yeah. that will be the problem there. So okay, well, leaving apart whether you slept with the lights on or had nightmares, <laughs> do you think it's a scary movie? Mm, scary. I mean, yeah, I think it's scary. It's, I think it's a different, I think it plays on the fear of the home is not guaranteed to be a safe place. And mm-hmm. I feel like, particularly in America, that's something that we hold very closely. Fundamental, yeah, it's fun. Right. Like your home is where you are safe. Mm-hmm. And when I close that door, nothing can get past that door. And it just isn't, actually isn't true. Not true. Most, most of us are just lucky to not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else to say about the strangers? Would you and I do better in that situation? Probably not. Well, I mean, I wouldn't be there. <laughs> what do you mean you wouldn't be there? I wouldn't be there. I don't want to go to a secluded summer home. If we're, if you want to, you know, do something sweet and romantic with me, take me to a hotel in the city. Well, the hotels in the city are haunted. We talked about that last I'd week. I'd rather too. deal with that than this nonsense. Hmm. I don't know that we would have done better. Probably not. I mean, that's a, like everybody thinks that they're going to be better in these sorts of films. And the fact of the matter is prob- no, you no. probably won't. I just probably I do know won't. how to load a shotgun. I'll say that. Well, that's good. Exactly that much for my And I'm notorious for always having my phone charged. So I wouldn't have that. Like my phone is always fucking charged. Um, <laughs> and on me. But we're not going to call the cops either. So we're that's, also that's not going to call the cops. That's That would be our downfall is that we would have to deal with it ourselves. Yeah, no, we're not going to make it. Yeah, no, we probably wouldn't let's, make it. Let's just admit that now. You're not a good runner. Oh, God, no. Uh, neither of us has a car. <laughs> so, no, we're, we're probably dying there. But see, we, I wouldn't have opened the door at 4 a.m. either. So, I don't know. Let's, let's hope it doesn't come up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, very briefly, this is the, our last, the last movie in our 2020 Halloween movie marathon. Mm-hmm. I am sure you are sad to see it come to an end. Mm-hmm. Do you... Do you even remember the movies we watched this year? I do remember the movies we watched this year, I think. Okay. Can you can you name them for us? <laughs> Phantasm. Yeah. Devil's Backbone. Yeah. Hereditary. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca. Yes. And... This one. And this one. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. You almost did them in order, too. See? Yeah. Uh, okay. So your favorite among those? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a harder question. I guess I would say Devil's Backbone would probably be my favorite. Okay. That doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. What about a scariest moment from all of those? I feel like I've already blocked most of Phantasm out. <laughs> I'll say I don't think you found anything remotely <laughs> scary in that. Um, Scariest moments. I mean, there are definitely some visuals that will linger with me. Okay. Even in, fa- even in Phantasm. So in Phantasm, <laughs> it's obviously the moment where we first see the silver orb. <laughs> so drill itself into that guy's skull and then spew out a fountain of blood yep. and then Classic. he fell down and pissed himself which is just it was just visually a very good scene 
Uh, Devil's Backbone was just the entire visualization of Santi, Santi, the ghost. It's just that it's just so it's a powerful visual. Yeah. Uh, Hereditary would be Tony Collette sort of crawled up into a corner in the ceiling. <laughs> it's just a creepy visual. You liked that scene where she was on the ceiling banging her head against yes. the, the yeah. trap door. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Rebecca, not scary, but you just liked Mrs. Danvers. I really like Mrs. Danvers. She's, yeah, all time, you know, she'll go down as a evergreen villain there. Perfect. And what was the scariest moment of this one? The country music? We when didn't he ta- proposed. We didn't talk about the country music. <laughs> <laughs> Playing on the record player. That was scary for everyone. <laughs> proposing. Um, I mean, the music was, I mean, it, that's the music I would have expected coming from those two people in that house. I guess the scariest moment in that one, the one that probably hit me the hardest was that last, those last few minutes mm-hmm. where... It's daylight, and we know that they're going to die. Yeah. Okay, so most ridiculous moment for many of these? All of Phantasm. (laughs) The entire film. (laughs) The exact same moment you just mentioned. But all of the other moments of that film as well (laughs) is a ridiculous film. There's just, I don't even... Gloriously ridiculous. I'm not sure about that. I'm really not. (laughs) Which, if any of these, would you watch again? Mm, Probably Devil's Backbone. (laughs) But even that, like, it's, I'm still going to, if I'm going to do Guillermo, I'm probably still going to do Pan's Labyrinth. Right. So, yeah, I don't know that I would necessarily reach for any of these for a second viewing. Okay. Glad you watched all of them? No, not at all, really. (laughs) Needed to see them? Nope. Not at all. I think you needed to see Phantasm, certainly. No. I'm glad to know about the character of Mrs. Danvers. I'm glad to have seen Devil's Backbone because, again, I'm a fan of Guillermo and I'm always happy to see more of his work. Did not need Phantasm (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination. Hereditary, I mean, I missed that cultural moment, so I don't even feel like I needed to see it because that moment sort of came and went. Mm, Um, We might make a light pole joke at some point. Would we, though? Mm. I don't know. Situation comes up. <laughs> Does it come up often? <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess that's about par for the course sure. on these things. That's about how this goes. <laughs> That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of The Unenthusiastic Critic. Nikia, our horror movie marathon is over. And with any luck, another far more traumatic horror show is also coming to an end. Our next episode will drop on Election Day here in the States. So we're going to be remembering a slightly saner, slightly more civilized time in American politics by watching Alan J. Pakula's All the President's Men from 1976. I mean, yeah, depending on how that goes down next week, we may be moving in with Julie. For those of you watching along at home, All the President's Men is currently streaming on HBO Max, and it's available to rent from most of the other streaming services. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, where you can find additional episodes, subscribe to the show, leave us a comment, or, like Julie, send us a donation to support our work. We love you, Julie. You can also find us on Twitter at FreeRangeCritic, or send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. 
Any final words? This is the last year we're doing this. Yeah, those are always your final words. Well, I think you you're also just running it. out of films. I'm not, though. You are. I'm not. You're, we're scraping. We're watching Phantasm. We're at the bottom. <laughs> there is no bottom. We've reached the bottom. <laughs>